got something in my shoe. I'm sorry. This is just irritating. There's something poking me in my shoe. Does that not bother anybody else when there's just, it's the little things, isn't it? Anybody else got a pet peeve like that? Well, I know you do, because I looked it up, and I came across a list of 75 of the top pet peeves that there are. I know, 75. Why are we all so triggered? Like, we need to calm down a little bit. Um, I didn't know that there were 75, and they're oddly specific. Now, I, didn't, I couldn't justify coming up here, and I have to, you know, preach the word of God and list to you all 75. So I decided to read to you the top 10. You guys want to hear the top 10? Here we go. Number one, let me know if any of these are yours, okay? Number one, loud chewing or people chewing with their mouths open. Okay, kind of a basic one, right? Number two, when people are late or make me late because I'm waiting for them, that's just ridiculous. Number three, people who scuff their feet when they walk. Oh, pick up your feet. This one's really specific, okay? It, the, the first makes sense. Number four, people who chew gum loudly. And then it says, and attempt to blow bubbles in confined quarters. I don't know. This person was getting really triggered. <laughs> Number five, people who walk into a building and stand right in front of the door. Why is the line pointed toward the door? Let's turn it the other way. People who don't cover their mouths when they cough. That's, come on, guys. We already know that one. Number seven, cutting in line. Number eight, interrupting. Number nine, people who walk slowly or stop suddenly in the middle of the sidewalk. I don't know why they call Disneyland the happiest place on earth because that is where everybody, do. what ride do you want to go to? Just move out of the way. And number 10, my favorite, people who discuss being on a diet while you're in the middle of eating something unhealthy. That's just, get out of here with that. I want to enjoy my food. But remember, this list had 75 pet peeves. So you know your girl had to sit there and waste time reading them all because I wanted to see if anybody had some in common with me. And I decided to make a list of the top 10 that I thought were the funniest. So here we go. All right. Number one, people who, woo, when their favorite song comes on. I guess that's annoying. Number two, people who say literally when what they mean is not literal. I literally died. Number three, food that only pretends to be organic. I don't know who wrote that one. That's kind of suspicious to me. Number four, gluten-free fanatics who have no medical justification to avoid gluten. We've got some celiac disease-ridden people in here, and they're like, yeah, leave our food alone. Number five, when people repeatedly hit the elevator button as if that'll make it come faster, you know some of you are guilty of that. Number six, clapping at the end of a movie in the theater. I guess if it's a really good movie, I do that too. I just gotta be honest. Uh, number seven, the term touche. I, I don't know. If you use that word, you're annoying people. You guys, just stop it. Pastor Trin, I'm sorry. Where, where's Pastor Trin? You're gonna feel personally attacked by this when people say, cool beans. I guess that bothers people. I don't know. Um, people who say you should have been there when you clearly weren't there. If I miss the party, don't make me feel more left out, right? And finally, people who say, this is she, when you call them on the phone and you ask for them, just say yes, is what the list says. Now, we all have pet peeves, and I 
accidentally triggered my husband the other day while I was practice preaching on the couch and I learned one of his pet peeves. Apparently, when I practice preach, I am a little bit insecure because like, I don't want him to hear the whole message. And, you know, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know, I get nervous. So I'm like more confident right now than I am like just right in front of my husband. I don't know why. He just still gives me the butterflies. But anyways, we're sitting there and he's trying to watch a movie. And I'm just like, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm talking out loud, but I guess I'm not. And he looks over and he goes, Bebe, could you just talk out loud or just read in your head? Because all I hear is... So that just like, that was one of his pet peeves, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Do you want to hear one of mine? I'm going to share it because I have the mic. I'm going to let you know right now. I hate to repeat myself. Right? I don't, thank you. Yeah. I don't want to say it again. I don't want to repeat myself. Okay. So I was driving home from work. Michael was driving home from work. We were both tired after a long day. Ain't going to cook anything. So I was like, I'm going to stop by God's favorite fast food place, Stopped by Chick-fil-A, obviously. And I pulled up. It was the normal, usual, wonderful experience. They asked for my order. They got everything repeated back to me, including the sauce. Everything was in the bag. I said, thank you. And then they hit you back with, say it with me, my pleasure. Okay, some of you don't go to Chick-fil-A often enough. My pleasure is what they say to everything. And it's so lovely. Well, Michael didn't text me back soon enough to let me know what he wanted. And there's like that panic, right? So I was like, I'm not getting back in this drive through line. It's a long line. And so I'm just going to stop at Jack in the Box. So I went to Jack in the Box and I pulled up and immediately a different thing triggers me. And I don't know why this bothers me so much, but you know how you pull up to a fast food place and that automated voice comes on? You think it's a real person. And they're like, hey, welcome to Jack in the Box. Would you like to try our double bacon cheesy cheeseburger combo? And I was like, no, thank you. And then it was a different voice that came on that was like, order when you're ready. Okay, so ingenuine. Like, I want to go back to Chick-fil-A now. Anyways... So I order, and I order what he texted me. So it's a very simple medium Sprite and two tacos with sauce. Pretty simple. The guy repeated back to me, uh, a number five and two egg rolls with sauce? Okay. No, but close. A medium Sprite and two tacos with sauce. He goes, medium fries and chicken strips with a straw? We're getting further away here. Um, so I said, sorry, I'll talk louder. And he interrupts me and goes, we don't have clam chowder. <laughs> so I just, I, I, okay, thank you. And I drove to McDonald's. I wasn't going to deal with it. So he ended up with a Big Mac that day. Oh my gosh. You guys, I hate repeating myself. And you parents know what that's like, don't you? If you were ever going to apply for a new job somewhere, you could put on your resume, expert repeater, because that's all you do all day long. You say the same thing over and over and over again, and it's because you're a good parent. And good parents know that your child needs repetition to get whatever lesson you're trying to teach them through their learning, growing, developing, and sometimes defiant brains. And our Heavenly Father is a good parent who knows that we need repetition to get whatever lesson he's trying to teach us through our learning and growing and developing and oftentimes defiant brains. You can open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We are still in Revelation, and um, this isn't really 
uh, in Pastor Troy's series on Revelation, but it really ties in well, I thought. And so um, God just already knew, and that's amazing. Um, so you guys, it's really cool. You already know kind of the backstory of Revelation if you've been uh, showing up for the last few weeks. If you haven't been, go back and watch those so that you can kind of catch up with the book of Revelation. Um, but what I wanna touch on this morning is the beginning of the book of Revelation where John receives the revelation of all of these seven letters to the churches in the province of Asia. And remember, these letters are for those churches, which are us. And so these letters are the heart of God talking directly to us. And so as we read these letters today, I want you to really imagine God speaking directly to you this morning. Let's start with this one. Revelation chapter two, verse seven. It says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Let's bump down to verse 11. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Let's bump down to verse number 17. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. How about verse 29? Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Hey, let's flip to chapter 3, verse 6. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Verse number 13. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. And lastly, verse number 22 Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. I don't know if you caught that or not. I think we should probably listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches this morning. And as I was doing my own study on the book of Revelation, a question naturally came up to me in response to this repetition that God takes us through in the book of Revelation. And it's, what is the Spirit saying to me? What is God saying to me? And throughout our lives, I think it might change, right? So what is God speaking to you right now in this season of your life? All right. So here we go. I want to read the first letter. And the first letter was to the church in Ephesus. Everybody say Ephesus. This letter is found in chapter two, verses two through seven. If you want to follow along with me, because these letters are so short, I'm just going to read the whole thing. Here we go. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not you have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So there's a lot here. 
First, God tells them what he's happy with, that they work hard, that they endure, that they don't tolerate evil people, and they can decipher who truly is a follower of Jesus and who isn't. And then the hard part, but I have this complaint against you. In other words, sure, you're not evil, but you've still got some work to do. He says, you don't love me or each other like you used to. So come back to me or I will not claim you as my church anymore. That's a big statement. It's also a lot to remember. So let's shorten it like this. Turn to somebody and say, be more than just a good person. Most of us would probably consider ourselves to be good people. And you probably are a good person. But God expects more from you than that. There are plenty of good people in this world who will find themselves in eternal torment if they don't repent and turn back to God. This is where a lot of people take issue with Christianity. And if I didn't know the end of this book, if I didn't know all of the love that is filled in the word of God, I might have a problem with it too. See, why would God send good people to hell? Why is being a good person not good enough? There are plenty of people who give their life savings to charity, who risk their lives for others. There are people who everyone would consider to be a good person who will not open their eyes in heaven. And my prayer is that that would not be you. That if you haven't yet, that you would accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That just like this verse says, that you would repent and turn back to him. See, he doesn't expect this because he's hateful or infringing on your rights. In fact, he gives you complete and total free will to make your decision. Choose you this day whom you're gonna serve. But those of us who already have Jesus in our hearts, we're not exempt from this letter either. Because if we go back, it says, turn back to me and do what you did at first. Remember when you were so excited when Jesus changed your heart and changed your life? He says, go back to that. Faith without works is dead. We can't just talk the talk. I believe in Jesus. Praise the Lord. I'm a Christian. See, we've got to put our faith into action. So what have you not been doing that you know you should? We've already established that you're a good person, but what is lacking in your walk with Jesus? Are you faithfully reading your word, God, every single day to show yourself approved? Are you actively pursuing purity in the things that you watch and in the things that you listen to and in how you speak to people and the way that you think? Are you walking away when your group of friends are gossiping? Are you taking care of your body to treat it as the temple that God has given you? He says, because if you're victorious, I'll give you fruit from the tree of life in paradise. In other words, see you in heaven. So that was the first letter that Jesus wrote to us, which means we all need to listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying to us. So I'm gonna do something a little bit different. I want you to take that note sheet that was passed out to you. And I want you to take one minute to write down what God is speaking to you. I want you to answer the question, how can I be more than just a good person? Take your one minute and then we'll continue.
All right, let's move on to letter number two. Letter number two was written to the, ch the church in Smyrna. Everybody say Smyrna. This is found in Revelation chapter two, verses nine through 11, if you wanna follow along. It says, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. So God recognizes the pain that these people are going through, but he calls those people who are suffering and living in poverty rich. He also doesn't make suffering optional. And lastly, notice how even though they are people who are suffering, he gives them an assignment too, to be faithful. We can sum up this letter by saying this. I want you to say this to the person next to you. See the purpose in your pain. Are you suffering right now? You have chronic pain in your body? Are you watching a loved one slip away or or maybe you've just recently lost a loved one? Are your finances all tied up? Or maybe you can identify with the word poverty in this verse. Do you feel like your marriage isn't the partnership that you imagined that it would be? Jesus says to stay faithful. See, there's a purpose to your pain. Come on, I just got done saying that I don't like repeating myself, but I'll say it again. There is a purpose in your pain. It might not look better right away, but there's a purpose. It might feel like I'm breaking down inside, but there is a purpose. I might be taking two steps forward and one step back, but there's a purpose. See, I may not see the purpose this side of heaven, but there is a purpose. So I'm gonna remain faithful and steadfast and I'm gonna keep my hand to the plow and I'm gonna stay on the straight and narrow because there's a purpose. Let's look at the letter again to find out the purpose. It says, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Did you hear that? Ain't no participation crowns in this race. You gotta put in your reps. You gotta do the work. You gotta show yourself approved. But he sees your suffering and he sees your exhaustion and he sees your frustration. And he says, I've got a purpose that's bigger and better than you could ever imagine. So that was short and sweet, but that was letter number two. And I think that God is calling us to a perspective change in our pain and in our suffering right now. So I'm gonna give you one more minute. And I want you to take this time to write out your thoughts, write out what God is telling you. How can you change your perspective to find the purpose in your pain? And go.
I'm going to bring this to a close with letter number three. Are you still with me? This letter was for the church in Pergamum. Say Pergamum. This is in still chapter two. We're in verses 13 to 17. It says, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refused to deny me, even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one of you a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. I don't know how people say that the Bible is just so old and it's irrelevant. This is our life right now. Idols everywhere. Sexual sin everywhere. And God says that he's pleased with the church for remaining loyal in the middle of it. In the middle of the persecution of all of the believers. But just like the first two letters, God has a warning to this church in this situation too. He says, you tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. See, Balaam was a prophet in the Old Testament who's hired by an enemy of Israel to curse Israel. But he shows up to do that, and he sees that Israel wins this big war, this big battle, and he's like scared. He's like, okay, I, it's not possible for me to do this, so let me go and delegate some help here. And so he finds this other dude named Balak, who is a magician to do the cursing himself. Eventually, Balak, instead of directly cursing the people of Israel, he gets them to fall into sin including idolatry and sexual sin. So this is the false teaching and temptation that God is referring to the church tolerating. And he ain't happy about it. We've got to sum up this last one the same way we did the other. So turn to your neighbor and say, fight for what's right. It's time we ask ourselves, what are we tolerating that we should be fighting? And yes, we can make big impact on the world at large, but I'm not really talking about storming the doors of the White House. I'm talking about storming the gates of your own home. I'm talking about talking to your friends about this kind of stuff. What are you tolerating at home that you shouldn't be? Are you tolerating infidelity or lust? Are you tolerating profanity from your family? Are you tolerating idolatry from your family? What are you tolerating in your own home? Because here's the truth. Earlier, we talked about how most of us consider ourselves to be good people, right? But if we're waking up every morning with the intention of living right, and we go to bed feeling like, yeah, I, I did right by God, but we tolerated the sin of the, the rest of our family all day long, God said he's gonna fight them with the sword of his mouth. And you may have missed the opportunity to save them from that but we can demonstrate Jesus to them. See, this isn't about taking responsibility for other people's decisions. 
In fact, I had something else written for this portion of the message. So those of you doing the slides, just, just roll with me here. The slides won't be different, but the words you're reading aren't gonna be the same. God gave me this word and I wanna read it to you. Um, if you wanna follow along, it's in Acts chapter 18. And I'm just gonna read a couple of verses, but I thought this was just so timely. It says, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And then I wanna skip down to verse number nine. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Ooh. He shook out his clothes in protest. Like, mm, I did what I could. I told you what I know. I showed you how to act like a Christian. I walked the walk alongside you. And if you refuse to do it, I've already told you what the standard is. Not my standard, but God's standard. And then God be with you if you choose not to do it. That's what our responsibility is, is to show them Jesus. So I want you to take your final minute and write down your takeaway. What can you do to fight for what's right in your family and in your home? Take that minute and then I'll close. So I'm really, really glad that our Heavenly Father is willing to repeat Himself, especially when we don't get it. He'll say it again. And if you ignore it, He'll say it again. If you pretend you didn't hear it, He'll say it again. <laughs> Let's review. Number one, be more than just a good person. Number two, see the purpose in your pain. And number three, fight for what's right. Instead of having an altar call and telling you what the next step is, you've been writing all morning. I think you know what the next step is. And really, the response should simply be, yes, Jesus, I'm going to do it. Or no, Jesus, I will not. But I don't think that I need to remind you the consequences that were written in each of these letters for not responding yes to Jesus. Because you can only truly respond to Jesus if you've accepted him. We're gonna start with that. Would you close your eyes this morning? I don't know if there's anybody here who maybe hasn't had an introduction to Jesus yet. 
I would be honored if I could pray a really simple prayer with you, just inviting him into your heart. You don't have to do anything else. You don't need to sign on the dotted line. You just need to invite him in. So if you would like to be a part of the family of God, if you want your name written in that book, if you wanna open your eyes in heaven when you leave this world, then I want you to pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Make me new. I wanna be more like you. And I choose to follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. You can open your eyes. If you prayed that prayer, then now everybody is welcome to respond to the next question. Are you gonna say yes to what God is calling you to do? So it's really simple. I've got these, uh, these letters up here. Really, it's just a note because that's all that's necessary. God wrote us all these letters in this book and I think it's kind of us and cordial to write a letter back. It just says, dear God, and the note says, yes. And at the bottom says, love. And I just want you to come up here and take one and write your name. And I want you to leave it up here as a symbol to God, a physical expression of I'm getting up and I'm leaving all of this behind me. So I'm gonna leave these down here and I want you to bring up a pen with you when you come up. And then after you've signed it and you've left it up here, I want you to stay up here so that we can worship together. And then we will close. You're welcome to come church.
God, we say yes. You have called us for a purpose that is unique and individual and specific. It is not the same as the person standing next to us. It is not the same as our parents or maybe what has been repeated for generations. It is different. It is unique. And God, I thank you for making each and every person here unique with different skills and abilities and gifts and talents that they can use for you, God, to make a difference in this world, to be able to worship you in a unique way, God. And so God, I pray that you would help us, Jesus. God, would you embolden us to continually say yes each and every morning to whatever you would call us to, God. God, that we would step out in faith, that we would make moves, Jesus. God, that it would create a ripple effect in our families and in our workplaces and with our friends, God, and the people that we have been avoiding speaking to about this, God. God, you have called us out. So God, would you use us to speak to others in a powerful way? And I don't pray for this in the future. I pray for this right now for New Life Church. God, we love you and we thank you for speaking to each and every one of us. Can we choose yes? And that's all there is to say. In the mighty, powerful name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said a victorious amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I'm proud of you, church. Let me bless you before you go. Child of God, May the confidence of Jesus stand taller than your every insecurity. May a hedge of protection shield you from every attack of the enemy. May the truth of God correct every word spoken against you. And may you know your worth and your calling. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.